You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, What happened in Boston on Saturday was, fuck, it was beautiful. Backing way up. Remember those alt-right Nazi assholes and their white supremacist asshole pals who terrorized Charlottesville? The assholes marching around with torches, carrying Nazi flags, and killing people. Those assholes. The men Donald Trump described as very fine people. Well, the same assholes staged a march in Boston on Saturday, one week after Charlottesville. Fewer than... 100 neo-Nazi white supremacist assholes showed up to assert their right under the First Amendment to say hateful, racist, anti-Semitic things in public. And more than 20,000 counter-protesters organized by Black Lives Matter and a coalition of other progressive orgs, they were there to say, uh, no, this country does not belong to you. It belongs to all of us. And what makes Boston even more remarkable and that turnout even more remarkable? All those people showed up. On Saturday, in Boston, even though Tina Fey on Thursday told them to stay home. I know a lot of us are feeling anxious and we're asking ourselves, like, what can I do? I'm just one person. What can I do? And so I would urge people this Saturday, instead of participating in the screaming matches and potential violence, find a local business you support. Maybe a Jewish-run bakery or an African-American-run bakery. (laughs) Order a cake with the American flag on it, like this one, and um, just eat it, Colin. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry, how is that supposed to help? Love is love, Colin. Sorry, what? And then next time when you see a bunch of white boys, boys in polo shirts screaming about taking our country back, and you want to scream, it's not our country, we stole it. From the Native Americans. They stole it from the Native Americans, and when they have a peaceful protest at Standing Rock, uh, we shoot at them with rubber bullets, but we let you chinless turds march through the streets with semi automatic weapons. <laughs> and when you want to yell that, don't yell it at the Klan, Colin. Yell it into the cake. That was Faye on last Thursday night's weekend update. Saturday Night Live does midweek shows during the summer, and they still do weekend update on those shows. And she urged people to stay home and yell into sheet cakes, hashtag sheet caking. It was a joke. It was a comedic conceit that allowed Faye to rip on Nazis and Trump and Paul Ryan and Ann Coulter and point out the hypocrisy in the way we treat Native American protesters versus white supremacist asshole protesters on national television for five straight minutes. That's where she showed up. That's what she did. And the bit, which was hilarious, it was really well received at first. Tina Fey absolutely destroys Nazis, Trump, and Paul Ryan while eating a sheet cake, read the headline at HuffPo. And she did destroy them, hilariously. I mean, come on. Then when, when, when Ann Coulter crawls out of her roach motel and says, oh, Antifa attacked Republicans in Berkeley, and you're like, okay, yard sale Barbie. But the other side is Nazis and Klansmen. And also, who drove the car into the crowd? Hillary's emails? Ah, uh, fucking hilarious. As was this. 
Where's Paul Ryan in all this, right? You're supposed to be like the cool young congressman, but you don't know how to at somebody on Twitter? Boom. <laughs> racism, racism is bad. At real Donald Trump, you pussy. But it didn't take long for the your fave is problematic crowd to take to their keyboards and start scolding Faye for being a bad lefty and calling out anyone who thought her bit was funny and helped it go viral on social media. Because they believed Faye was literally telling people to stay home, do nothing, and yell at sheet cakes. Tina Faye, who was slamming Trump and Nazis and Paul Ryan and Ann Coulter on national television, she wanted the rest of us to stay home and shout whatever it was we had to say into a cake and avoid the hate rallies. Never mind, as Jezebel commenter Metamorphos pointed out, and I quote, this is actually what people who study white nationalist groups advise. Don't show up. Because the whole goal of these protests is to generate footage of people hitting Nazis to give ammunition to the vile many sides narrative that claims that those who resist the alt-right are the problem. The Southern Poverty Law Center, which monitors hate groups, they advise people against attending hate rallies. They, the haters, are coming to provoke. So don't show up. Don't be provoked. And unlike Faye and her sheet cake on SNL, the SPLC is deadly serious about this. Faye, however, wasn't serious. Hashtag sheet caking is not actually a movement. The blogger John Gruber wrote this. I remember being a kid and learning that Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal was controversial in its time because some sanctimonious shitheads thought Swift was literally telling people to eat Irish children. I just couldn't believe there were people who were incapable of understanding satire. But here we are today with people thinking Tina Fey literally wants us to stay home and eat cake. And if that's what you think, let me break it to you. Gruber continues, your heart might be in the right place, but you are an idiot. I want to second that. Tina Fey, to borrow a phrase, is one of our problematic faves. Like too many folks, she's not great on sex workers' rights. She's made biphobic jokes and she's viewed as being insufficiently woke on race. But problematic can be hurled at every comedian on the planet, particularly every male comedian on the planet with similar stature and a similar platform. Louis C.K., for Christ's sake, did an entire set on child rape, joking about child rape on Saturday Night Live. And if your beef with Faye is that she doesn't want people to protest Nazis, that she was literally calling for people to stay home, again, I agree with Gruber. You are indeed an idiot. Now, if you're a listener... And presumably you are because you are listening right now. You know where I stand on the whole showing up thing. I am always encouraging my listeners to show the fuck up, to get out of the house, to get out there and fight back, to do something. Most of my opening show rants and not with a call to cake, even though I love cake, cake is delicious, but a call to action, something we all can and should do. Now, the organizers of the huge, hugely successful and Again, entirely peaceful counter-protest in Boston. They were aware of this, the, the trap that SPLC talks about Nazis and white supremacists setting. They're trying to provoke you. They want violence. But the organizers, particularly those from Black Lives Matter in Boston, they wanted people to show up. They wanted to keep it peaceful. Black Lives Matter activists escorted lost Nazis through the crowd of counter-protesters, keeping them safe and preventing a riot. Now, there's a debate 
right now in San Francisco at an upcoming quote unquote free speech rally by Nazis and white supremacists in the Bay Area. Should people go and protest or per the SPLC, should they stay away and deny Nazis and white supremacists the confrontation they seek? I think people should go. And I think Tina Fey thinks people should go too. Oh, one more thing that happened in Boston. So interesting. People showed up. People went to the counter protest despite being told to stay away by Tina Fey. And a lot of them brought sheet cakes. So it would seem the message people took away from Faye's bit on SNL wasn't don't go. It was go and hey, maybe bring a cake because everybody loves cake. Every decent person also loves telling Nazis to go fuck themselves. Want as many people as possible to come to your counter protest? Tell them that they not only get to yell at Nazis, but that cake will be served. All right, coming up on today's show, in the Magnum subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast, Alexander Chavez joins us to talk about women in gay bars, which gay bars women are welcome in, which gay bars maybe women aren't welcome in. That's on the Magnum, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Twice as much show, guests, and no ads. And on the free micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your questions, lots of my answers, all of that coming up. Hi, Dan. 22-year-old straight female from L.A. area. I had a question about kinky stuff. Um, me and my ex definitely started doing kinky stuff maybe three or four months into our relationship. A lot of, I guess, dom-sub type things, tying each other up, well, him tying me up. Just definitely that kind of kinky, fun stuff, watching porn together, all that stuff. And sexually, we had a great relationship, but everything else was missing. It actually ended up being like a very emotionally abusive relationship. He was very controlling. When we broke up, he was all types of crazy. And now I'm in a new relationship. And it's been actually maybe like 10 months now. We haven't done anything kinky. I could tell my boyfriend's into it. But I'm holding back from doing that kind of stuff because I'm scared of how my last relationship ended up. Part of me feels like maybe because I allowed him to dominate so much in the bedroom that's why he started becoming so controlling in all aspects of our relationship. And that ultimately was terrible for me. And I don't want to be stuck in a situation like that again. So I guess what I'm wondering is how can you make it clear or prevent that relationship from leaving the bedroom and entering the relationship? Because right now in the relationship was definitely equal. And I don't want my current boyfriend to, kind of become controlling or crazy like my last one did. I don't know if my question has an answer to it, but I'd like to know your opinion. Thanks. There are people out there with control issues who are domineering and manipulative and abusive whose sexual tastes are entirely vanilla. So you may be linking two things that are unrelated. Maybe I'm being too glib. Maybe I'm being too Pollyanna. Someone with control issues may be attracted to a DS dynamic as a way of not having the DS sex that always turned them on, but as a way of covering for their control issues, as a way of disguising their manipulative awfulness and that the jollies they're getting from DS sex aren't so much about the DS sex. It's about the manipulation and control. How do you protect yourself from winding up in a DS relationship with those people? Being clear about your boundaries and clear about what you will and won't accept. You've been in one DS relationship where the domination slash submission dynamic spilled out of the bedroom, that it sloshed out of the sex and onto other parts of the relationship. And if that made you unhappy, then you be clear the next time you enter into a relationship where at least the sexual 
aspect of it. You would like it to have some DS dynamics, some DS excitement in play. You'd be very clear that you are submissive in the bedroom and nowhere else or submissive when you're wearing a collar and at no other time. And then stick the fuck up for yourself. If you feel that this person is unfairly leveraging your sexual submissiveness against you in circumstances and at times and around issues that aren't about consensual, mutually pleasurable sexual exploration, speak the fuck up. Tell the guy that you are not into TPE. You are not looking for total power exchange, that you are no one's slave and you will never be his that for you, this is sex play. This is cops and robbers for grownups with your pants off and orgasms. It is not lifestyle. You are not his property. You will not be ordered around except when you order him to order you around. Except at those times, you do not take orders. You are not the window at Jack in the Box. Hey, Dan. I am a 26-year-old female um, lesbian. Um, um, so I guess my question is, I have been seeing a another 26-year-old female for about two months now. I've actually known her for about four years. Um, and we had, like, kissed a while back, and then she moved away, and I didn't see her for four years. Um, and now she's back, and we kind of just picked up where we left off. The only thing is, is that she has actually never been with a woman before, and she says, like, I'm pretty much the only girl that she's been interested in and the only one that she's been attracted to. Um, and um, our relationship is like pretty much blossomed into something like really great. I mean, we get along really well. Um, sex is great. Um, everything is really great, um, except I am kind of freaking out because, you know, the fact that she's never been with a woman, uh, I don't really know if this is like a phase for her or what, uh, but I know that she has like, you know, goals in life. She like wants a family and kids and stuff. And I don't know if, you know, I'm wasting my time with this girl or what. Um, but basically I just want to know what you think. Um, she says, you know, when we get drunk or whatever, she'll be like, yeah, I, I've never felt like this about anyone. It's so nice to be with a woman. You're like my best friend. Also, but also my lover. And yeah, if you could just help me out, that'd be great. I'm sorry. I can't help you because what you're asking me for is a guarantee. What you want is for me to say nothing could possibly go wrong and there's nothing to worry about and your fears are unfounded. And I can't tell you that. Not because you're dating someone who's never been in a same-sex relationship before because you're with a woman who's never been with a woman before, but because there's no guarantees in, in any relationship regardless. You could be dating someone who's dated only women and been a gold star lesbian her entire life and it could end. It could come to shit for other reasons. This could come to shit. This could end the relationship that you're in now. And maybe the fact that she's only been with men prior to you could contribute or maybe it could be completely unrelated to that fact. It could be something else. Maybe she's bi. Maybe this relationship that you're in has helped her to realize that despite all the men that she slept with in the past or the opposite sex relationship she's been in, that she was a lesbian all along and finally everything makes sense thanks to you. Even so, no guarantee that you will be together for the rest of your life. There are no guarantees that is the existential terror at the heart of every relationship short term long term new old whatever it could come to shit 
And so you suspend your disbelief and you go through your day believing that it will not come to shit and that things will continue to be as good as they are now or get better in different ways. And you live in hope. It's all you can really do. That's all I can give you. Can't give you the guarantee that you're seeking. I can't give you that. It sounds like you're in a pretty distant relationship with someone you really like and the sex is good. Stick around. See how it plays out. Maybe you'll be together forever. Maybe you won't. Maybe if it ends, you'll salvage your friendship. Maybe you won't. Maybe she'll be a lesbian after this relationship with you. Maybe she will revert to opposite sex land and presumed heterosexuality. You just can't know what the fuck is going to happen. But you can enjoy the time that you have with this person while you're having it. Hi, Dan. I'm calling because I have a very good friend who has been in a very toxic relationship. And we found all of this out just a few months ago. Essentially, she had been dating a man for close to three years and they got engaged. A few months later, we found out that he was in fact, married, according to some IRS tax returns we found where he was filing jointly or alternatively committing massive tax fraud, also engaged to another woman in a different city while living with my friend. And while she had talked to the woman who we presumed to be his wife, she responded that she didn't want to be any part of the drama, which leads us to believe that she knows about the con. Through multiple conversations with each of our friends, we've been piecing together different parts of the relationship that we had not all been privy to as they were happening, which we would have flagged as problematic. She had seemingly been paying for his son's private school at about $8,000 a month, paid cash in, uh, for a luxury car for him. She was buying all of his work flights, supporting both of them in the upwards of $200,000, and then as we were moving his stuff out, we found cameras that she didn't know about. And there was other manipulative relationship things that were unacceptable, in addition to also physically touching her more than once in um, more than once, to our knowledge. Um, when she moved him out, we found after she moved him out, we found out that he had continued to talk. She had continued to talk to him and recently emailed us all that she wants to continue to have a loving, healthy relationship with him and that they're going to try to start over. And our friends are really struggling to figure out how we continue to engage with her and what we do. We want to be her friends, but we're not sure how to be supportive of her without enabling a toxic and manipulative relationship. I keep thinking we can ignore it and pretend it's not happening or tell her how we feel and risk alienating her or we can be supportive and suggest that we'll be there for her no matter what, period. But we're struggling. We don't know what to do. Can you give us some advice on how we can be the best friends possible in this situation without condoning this terrible relationship that is potentially going to wreck her financially as well as uh, hurt her emotionally more in the long term when seemingly she has continued to fall into this manipulative trap? It is extremely frustrating to rescue someone from a burning building and then watch them look back at the building that's on fire and then rush back inside and tell you that that's where they want to live. They want to live in that burning building. I think we owe our friends that first rescue. I think we owe it to our friends to pull them from the burning building that one time. But if they choose to go back into that burning building, if that's where they want to live – 
Your friend's a fucking adult. She gets to make her own choices and she will have to live with and shoulder the consequences of those choices. You can and should appeal to her, press her, tell her that this is a terrible relationship, that he's a toxic and manipulative guy, that he's using her, that he's draining her financially, that he's a parasite. But if she wants to be drained, if she wants to be the host to his parasite, there's nothing that you can do about it. And we feel as friends, we need to be supportive. We need to always be there. But there's a point at which being there becomes complicit. There's a point at which being there is enabling. And so sometimes the loving thing to do as a friend is to say to someone, this is a terrible relationship. It's bad for you. I am not going to hang out and watch this happen. I am not going to watch the building that you're inside of burn with you inside of it. Give me a call when you are ready to finally get the fuck out of this burning building. You give me a call and I will be there for you. I will come help pack your shit again. I guess I will rush back into that burning building a second time when you are ready to get out. You can't drag them out. And until that call comes, you can... See very little of your friend with a clear conscience. You can cut your friend out of your life with a clear conscience. You have let them know that you will support them when they are ready to make the choice that is in their own best interests. But you are not going to hang out and smile and enable them to stay. You're not going to play along with this. You're not going to watch your friend be used and abused. You'll be there when they're ready to end the use, end the abuse. You will be there for your friend when she is ready to scrape that parasite off, finally. But you're not going to be there to watch him use her and drain her in real time, in real life. You won't be there for it. You won't be there to watch it. You will be there when she is ready to get the fuck out. That's when you will be there. That's how you be supportive to a friend who is in this kind of circumstance. You draw a line. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm married. I've been married for five years, uh, and I recently got out of the military. When I was in the military, I really started working on myself because I was a bad. I wasn't a good husband. And lately, I'm also a very sexual person. And lately, I just cannot get my wife turned on when we do have sex. She just kind of lays there, and I, I'm in this position where I'm putting in a lot of effort. Um, you know, I try not to orgasm very fast. I have tried sex toys, I'll do bondage. Like I, I've tried so many things and I just need help. It's taking a very big toll on our marriage and it's making me as a man feel very insecure. And, you know, I just, I'm struggling. Welcome home. Thank you for your service. Have you eaten your wife's pussy? You might want to go down on her. If that doesn't work, and if your wife isn't someone you can talk to about this, if you have to call Strangers with Sex Advice podcast to ask what to do that might turn your wife on, your problems are bigger than just sex. You need to have a conversation with your wife about what turns her on. Like you can try bondage, but if bondage isn't something that turns someone on, tying them up isn't going to surprise, turn them on. You have to ask your wife what turns her on, not ask this faggot what might turn your wife on. I would just be guessing. I have no idea why you two aren't clicking sexually. Talk to the wife, have a conversation. And if nothing you can do works, well, then perhaps you're sexually incompatible and then your choices are you can 
get a divorce and start over and find new sex partners, or you can open up the relationship and seek sexual fulfillment outside the relationship while still being each other's primary partner and if you have kids, co-parents and whatever else. Seems like that might not be what you want, an open relationship. Sounds like you're really into being with the person that you are with. Sounds like you might be naturally inclined toward monogamy and making an effort. Good for you on both scores. But if there's nothing that you can do, if there's no way for you to ever turn your wife on, if your sexual connection is irrevocably broken or if it was never there in the first place, then you probably need to pull the plug and start over. Hi, Dan. 30-something female calling from the East Coast here. I was in a tumultuous relationship with someone for about five years. We were swingers, and we've continued to be swingers even after we broke up about two and a half years ago. He wound up getting into a relationship with a friend of mine despite warnings that this guy was verbally and emotionally abusive throughout our relationship. This wound up ending my friendship with the girl that he began seeing, not because I had anything against her, but because the swinger community in my city is on the smaller side and kind of tight-knit. He and I did not end on good terms, and the breakup was pretty nasty, so when I would see them out at events, I would completely ignore both of them. Fast forward to now, they have broken up and she's moved out. From what I hear, he had been treating her worse and worse with each passing month, and there was an incident. I'm not sure exactly what that was, but uh, whatever it was, it completely shattered her trust in him. I've seen her out since then, um, but she doesn't approach me and I don't approach her. It's just kind of awkward now. I don't know if she has a beef with me or not for ignoring her previously when they were still together and out at parties, etc. So I want to reach out to her and extend an olive branch and say something like, hey, I know what you're going through and I just want to say I hope you're doing okay but I don't know if it's appropriate at this point. Should I just mind my business and leave well enough alone? I always did and continue to like her as a person, and I think she's actually pretty cool. You move in the same social circles. You move in the same swinger circles. You are sometimes in the same room with both of these people who are your exes, with the dude, but also with this woman that you would like to reconnect with. My advice would be to let that happen on its own. Circumstance is going to throw you together. Eventually, you two are going to be circling each other in a room at a party that you're both attending. And there will be a moment at one of these future parties where you two catch each other's eyes and somebody's going to make that face, which is like, hey, and the other will make the hey back face. And the connection will reestablish on its own. You don't have to force or rush this. Let the thaw come in its own Sweet time. I know why you feel this urge to reach out to her now because now you both have something to bond over. Yeah, he was an asshole to me and now an asshole to you. Hey, we can hate on him together. But that's not a good and healthy place to ground the relationship between the two of you moving forward, your friendship moving forward and shared hatred for your now mutual ex. What you want to ground it in is affection for each other. So don't rush in when she's feeling raw, when the relationship has just ended. Let it come in its own sweet time. Let circumstance and the social circles you both move through bring you together and then let it happen on its own when she's ready, when you're ready. And you're readier now than she perhaps is because you've been out of this relationship longer than she has been. So give her some time. Give her some space. Let it scar over a bit for her and trust that fate will bring you together. You'll catch each other's eyes. 
You will make those, hey, faces, and you'll begin to have that conversation without having to force it or rush it. Hi, Dan. I am a 27-year-old female living on the East Coast, and I have a question about privacy. My boyfriend and I have been dating, seeing each other for about a year, and I have recently gotten my own apartment. He has a set of keys, um, which is fine, uh, but he will go to my house when I am not there. Um, I don't have a set of keys to his apartment, that, and he has roommates, um, and I would also never feel comfortable just going over to his house and letting myself in. Um, I've spoken to friends about this, and everyone is, is sort of under the consensus that it's super weird that he lets himself in. Um, especially when I'm not there. He also doesn't tell me that he's going to go over to my house. He'll just go in and hang out. Um, I've broached the topic of um, privacy with him before. Early on in our relationship, he'd kind of just like wander into the bathroom when I was peeing. Um, or he'll take my phone and like just start using my phone. Um I'm I'm not a super private person, but I do like having boundaries. Um, when I've approached this topic with him, he gets a little confused. Um, and I've also seen it in other areas of his life as well. Like sometimes he'll go use his sister's computer when she's not home and when she's asked him not to use it. Um yeah, I'm just kind of wondering about how to talk about it with him because I've asked him to like text me if he's thinking of going over. It's not even asking permission. It's just saying, hey, I'm going to be at your house later. Um, yeah, I would love, I would love to know your thoughts. I would love to have some feedback on how to talk about this with him because it's, it's really it's giving me grief. Some weeks I think we should remake the Savage Lovecast as a game show and we'll call it is he dense or is he an asshole? Your boyfriend is either dense or he's an asshole. He's a selfish fucking asshole who doesn't respect other people's boundaries or their personal property or their preferences around who uses their computers or who's in their space. And when my advice to you change the fucking locks on your apartment or ask for the goddamn key back and tell him why you're asking for the key back. I have asked you not to enter my apartment without at least telling me that you're there. I would prefer that you not be in my apartment unless I'm there. The reason you give somebody even dating a key after the short time that we've been dating is so that if they sleep over and if you have to leave before them, they can lock the door on the way out. Not so they can come and go at their leisure because we're not in that kind of relationship yet. We haven't merged yet. We're not partners yet. This isn't our apartment. This is my apartment that you have access to through me when I am there. And you have a key for not your convenience. You have a key for my convenience so that I can leave some mornings before you leave. Or if we want to meet together at the apartment and say I'm cooking up a storm and you come to the door, I don't have to abandon the souffle at a critical moment. You can let yourself in. At that moment that you've been invited over for dinner, appropriate to let yourself in? When I'm at work or out of town, not an appropriate moment for you to be letting yourself into what is still, for the time being, my apartment and mine alone. So, give me my keys back. You've proven yourself untrustworthy. 
no respect for boundaries. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt just in asking for the keys back rather than dumping you because I'm going with, in the game show, is he dense or is he an asshole? I'm going with dense and not asshole. If I thought you were an asshole, I'd be dumping you. So I am doing you a favor and for the time being, assuming dense. So keys, please. And if you won't cough the keys up, change the locks. And if he gives you grief about it, then he's an asshole. And you will have to dump him. Hi, Dan, the tech savvy at rescue. So I'm a, a gay man on the East Coast, and I've met this very nice couple who I'm very attracted to, both of them. And they're both very attracted to me, and there's oodles of chemistry and sex. It's great. Um, and they've been together six and a half years, and the kind of the the dynamic would would lend itself to kind of a, a poly situation, and I'm just kind of wondering what your thought is on like if that's even a thing that you would ask about um, what their what their thoughts are if they're purely open or or what I I'm open to pretty much whatever uh, open to having friends and you know fuck buddies and and just being around them because I actually genuinely like them. And in any other situation, I would date either one of them. And they both happen to be having, they've been in a relationship for a number of years now. And so like, is it something that I should just kind of let ride and see what happens? And then maybe turn around a year from now and go, Hey, by the way, look, we've you know been doing this whole thing for a year. Or is it something that I should, um, in your opinion, like, announce or or hint at my my interest in such an arrangement early on sounds like you just started fucking these guys if you were fucking somebody you just started fucking somebody who was single and you immediately wanted to have a conversation about the future and the kind of commitment that you might be willing to make to that person the kind of marriage you might want to have it would likely spook that guy that's kind of one of those good judgment moments. Like even if the both of you are besotted and it's just two people and both are besotted at this moment, it could be unnerving if one person started to have this conversation about the next six or seven decades when you barely know each other because that's hustling someone into making an emotional commitment early and during the sort of like besotted stage. You don't want to be asked to write a check that you can't cash at that moment. What you want to do is just continue to enjoy each other and then allow it to be the pleasure and joy that it is. And at a certain point, you realize this has legs. This is going to go on indefinitely. We may need to start calling each other boyfriends or we may need to start talking about the long, long-term shit, about whether we're both interested in marriage, whether we're both interested in having children, what we want from a life partner as opposed to the person that we're enjoying spending time with this summer. Rush that conversation and you're likely to get dumped even by someone who's as besotted with you at that moment as you are with them because it shows bad judgment because it can spook people. Rush the conversation with this couple about your intentions toward them and their intentions toward you and whether you're ever going to get polyamorously gay married. Start talking to them about your thruple china pattern for your thruple gift registry and they might bolt. So yeah, now is not the time. You never say how long you've been fucking these guys. But if you're looking ahead a year, I'm going to assume it hasn't been very long. I'm going to assume it's been a matter of weeks. And it's lovely that you feel so good about both of them and that you're attracted to both of them and both of them are attracted to you, but you don't really know them well. 
So stop thinking years and years down the line and start thinking about this moment. Like I said to somebody in Savage Love this week, don't commit to them. Commit to continuing to get to know them, but don't commit to them. And don't have a conversation about committing to them. Maybe have a conversation about being committed to enjoying this, whatever it is, for however long it is. And conversations about the shape of the relationship or the commitment or whether you're open to being the third in a thruple, that'll come in time. You typically put those labels on something when it has revealed itself to already be that thing. You start calling each other boyfriend when you know each other to be boyfriends, when you are behaving as boyfriends. You don't round each other up to boyfriend. You are boyfriends. And at a certain point, you admit it and start saying that. Same thing with thruppledom. Start calling it a thruple when it's clear and apparent that that's how you're moving through the world, that you are a thruple. So your idea about waiting a year to have that conversation or ideally allowing that conversation to happen naturally over time, that's the better idea. Don't rush the convo. Don't have it now. Enjoy your time with these guys however long it lasts. Hi, Dan. So I have a wonderful boyfriend. He's perfect. He and I are very compatible and I have nothing to say bad about him. But at the same time, I have another side of me. So I have a very kinky side of me that I've not been able to satisfy with my current boyfriend because although he's wonderful, he's extremely vanilla. And that's fine. That's great. He's super nice and great. But at the same time, I wonder, you know, I wonder about that other side of me that I do want to explore more. Back in the day when I was in Seattle, I went to the Center for Sex Positive Culture and I went to this BDSM event and I loved it. It was one of the best experiences I've had. And I've always been curious about doing it again. But I know that if I say anything to my current boyfriend, he would either not understand or think I'm very weird. and would not be helpful and I just want to lose him over that. But at the same time, I don't know what to do because I don't want to I'll completely forget that other part of me. So I don't know if anyone's had this kind of problem before of going from kind of a very kinky background to a very vanilla relationship and being happy but wanting more and um, what I could do about it. I have a question for you. Sure. Have you told your boyfriend about your interest in BDSM? No, I have not. Okay, well, that's obviously what you need to do. And you say he's vanilla, but you know what? He thinks you are too. He thinks you're vanilla, doesn't he? Yeah, no, definitely. Okay, so for all you know, you'll confess to him about your kink, and the next thing out of his mouth is going to be, well, I have a kink. Here are my kinks. Right, no, that's true. I just just assume because, I don't know, maybe from his background that he really didn't have any long-term girlfriends before that there are people who have never had a girlfriend or a boyfriend who have kinks that they've been masturbating about since they were 13 years old. Right. No, you're right. So you're going to have to take a risk here and it might mean risking the relationship or not. As I've said a hundred thousand times on this program, there's two types of people. You meet at big kink events. You meet people who are always kinky, kinky their whole lives, tying themselves up when they were 13 years old and jacking off in private. And you meet the people who fell in love with those people. And kind of grew into kink because they were invested in their partner's pleasure and they took pleasure in giving their partner's pleasure and it awakened something in them and they, and they, they grew to really enjoy it even if it wasn't something that came from their soul, right? Right. No, I know. I just I knew you said it's just taking a risk because 
what if, you know, he does think it's weird and then... But what are you risking if you don't tell him? Well, yeah, then me always wondering and kind of not being satisfied. Exactly. So you're risking... uh, How long you guys been dating? You and your presumed to be vanilla boyfriend, but we don't know? (laughs) Um, Over a year now. Okay, so you're risking a relationship that lasted a year uh, by telling him. By not telling him, by stuffing this down, by never taking this risk and opening up to him about who you really are sexually, then you're risking what? How old are you? Your mid twenties, five, six decades mm-hmm. of sexual frustration and unfulfillment. Right. No, that's true. And then that's looking true. back over your life when you're 70 going, ah, if only I'd risk telling him, maybe we could have had sexual adventures together. And imagine if, you know, you're yeah. 70 or 80 years old and your husband drops dead and you're going through all this personal effects and you find a bunch of kinky porn. Yeah, then it's even more stupid. Yes! <laughs> and, and, you know, there is a chance he will have a negative reaction. Right. You can lessen the chance of that by not telling him about your kinks like it's a, a cancer diagnosis. You don't have leukemia, you have kinks. These are, things, these, are, these are magic fun things about who you are sexually, this whole other dimension of your sexuality that you want him to be a part of. And if he doesn't want to be a part of it, you're going to need some. You're going to need an accommodation that allows you to be who you are sexually, so that you feel sexually fulfilled. And that could right. mean just occasionally yeah. you can go to a BDSM play party, no sex, no penetration, but maybe whatever it is that you enjoyed at the Center for Sex Positive Culture, whatever those experiences were, uh, erotic, mm-hmm. yes, but not necessarily fully sexual. But the odds that he may yeah. go there for you and with you, uh, I think, are pretty high. But you got to give him that chance. Right. No, that's true. And I guess it's, I can't mind read and I need to just tell him and see what he does basically. Right. And, and it's a conversation that's two sided. It's not just here are my kinks. Let's get to it. It's, I, I want to open up to you about my secret desires and my kinks and my experience, my, my one experience with it, because I really want to explore this with you. And I want us to have the kind of sexual connection and, and relationship where we can tell each other everything, where we can be, authentically ourselves with each other sexually and erotically. And so this is, this is some stuff I haven't disclosed to you yet because we were still getting to know each other and I was a little nervous. And so are, are there things you want to tell me? Right. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, like, exactly. And I think that that's my biggest problem is I didn't know how to word it. And I was talking to my best friend about this and she was like, well, don't just blurt it out, of course, but, um, you know, tell him that, if he's open to this and, and I guess also like if he's not open to it, then it leaves this awkward moment then of, okay, well, where do we go from here? And then do I just get over it or do I so those make people a you meet with him? At, and, those people you meet at kink events where there was the one kinky partner who disclosed and the vanilla partner who they're both now at the mm-hmm. kink party together doing kinky things. The odds that the vanilla partner was like, Oh really? Great. Let's go to a kink party. <laughs> the odds that they said that on first disclosure are zero. You know, right. we live in a sex negative culture. We live in a kink negative culture. Often when people who do mm-hmm. not have a kink are told about a kink by their partner, by someone that they are invested in and they're attracted to, their initial reaction is negative. They're like, what? Ew, gross. Right. So you need to brace yourself for that kind of reaction and not be devastated by it because it's the beginning of the conversation. And because of the sex negativity in the culture and the kink phobia in the culture, almost everyone's first reaction is going to be, ah, is to recoil. But they're going to start thinking mm-hmm. about it. So the important thing to say in that moment when they recoil is we don't have to do anything right now. And I just want to open up a dialogue and and keep talking and nothing has to happen yet. 
And then do you wait, like, basically just until they're ready? Just ask them, you know, just tell me when you're ready to talk about this again. No. <laughs> because they might then, you know, decide if they never raise the subject, it'll go away. And you need to let them know mm. that this isn't going to go away, that you can't wish it away. So you say, you know, right. I want to keep talking about this. And then he can initiate a conversation where you can. But let's not catastrophize. You never know. Some people – I've heard from people who are just so – afraid of sharing their kink or whatever it was with their partner and then they 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 opened up about it and their partner was into it and had been withholding right. the same info about themselves or very similar info because you know no two people are a perfect match sexually but i've heard mm -hmm. from people who are like i finally told my partner my boyfriend or my husband or my girlfriend that i was curious about bondage and so are they yahtzee right no that's true that'd be like the perfect scenario so here's your homework. Go tell your boyfriend, have a glass of wine, okay. have a little pot, open up to your boyfriend, have it in the back of your head that he, his initial reaction might be negative. That doesn't mean that you won't be at a kink party together in a few years time. Right. And then call us back and let us know how it went. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Dan. Good luck. Hey gang, guess what? She called us back and here's how it went. Hi, Dan. This is um, the person that had called you earlier about um, having a very familiar boyfriend and being into BDSM and not telling him for a long time and just being afraid of telling him. And you had given me homework to tell him and see what would happen. And so... I did. I was correct in the fact that he is very vanilla and has never done anything like this. But I was wrong in the fact that when I told him, instead of him being revolted and just throwing it back in my face, he actually um, got very excited and was upset with me, not because of what it was, because I told him right before work and then he had to wait all day now before he could play with me. So it couldn't have ended any better. Um, I'm super excited because now it just opened up a whole new avenue for us and I will no longer be frustrated. So for all the other people out there, um, don't wait like me over a year to say something because it turns out if you're with someone for that long, they probably would like the same things. Thanks, Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old cis straight guy living in Southern California. I'm actually calling because I need some recommendation on how to educate my parents. I'm from a super conservative state in the inner mountain west and both of my parents are from really small towns and my brother actually came out about a year ago both of my parents had amazing reactions they were compassionate and understanding and all of that the only hiccup in all of this is i don't think they've ever really had a close relationship with a queer person before i um, because i live in southern california and most of my friends are queer my parents kind of treated me like their gay wikipedia and one thing I've run into lately is they'll ask me super offensive and inappropriate questions, but there, there's no malice there. They just genuinely don't know that it's inappropriate to ask whether my brother or his boyfriend is the guy in the relationship. So I've tried to explain to them, like, there, these are things that you can't ask and all that. And they, they seem to understand, but... I also don't think that they fully like accept it as true because it's coming from me. Um, and like I said, there's just, there's no malice at all in this. It's just pure ignorance. So I'm just wondering if you have any recommendations on books or movies or anything else 
that I could refer them to, to kind of bridge that gap and say, no, there's really other people that agree that you can't say these things and that that's inappropriate. So your brother came out and your parents have a lot of questions and they're asking you, his straight brother, the straight sibling of their gay son, these questions because they fear perhaps asking your gay brother these questions because they don't want to offend him. I think that they should ask your gay brother these questions and I think the correct tack to take with family after you come out is to answer all of their stupid fucking questions because would you rather that they ask or that they wonder? I would rather they ask because the cure for ignorance is answers. And I just don't think the right thing to say is go do your homework, read these books, watch these movies. Although you can provide them with lots of books, lots of movies out there about gay people and the gay experience and the queer community. Uh, I always think, and this is a 40 year old reference, the P flag parents and friends of lesbians and gays had this book that you could give to your parents when you came out in the dark ages called now that you know questions that parents might have about homosexuality after their child comes out. You could maybe find that or see what P flag is churning out these days for parents. But I think the best tack to take with family who are asking questions, not out of malice, but ignorance is to give them the answers that they need to cure their ignorance and not to get all fucking huffy about it. Who is the guy in the relationship? That is a question that I had to answer again and again and again from my siblings, from my parents, from my aunts and uncles ad nauseum. And I had asked them when I came out to them, I had asked for their understanding and they were asking me to help them understand. So what was the point or the utility in me blowing up at them because they were asking stupid questions. They aren't inappropriate. They may be stupid. They may be misinformed, but they're really not inappropriate. And they're questions that people continually ask. I was asked these same questions 40 fucking years ago, 35 fucking years ago when I came out to my family. You're being asked these questions today by your parents about your gay sibling. This is a question that we may always have to answer because most people understand relationships, sadly and unnecessarily, through the prism of male roles and female roles. And so when there's a relationship and it's two women or two men, people get confused. So long as they're not so long as they're not disguising hostility or hatred as confusion or ignorance, answer their fucking questions. That is the quickest way through this. It's the quickest way to cure their ignorance is to give them the answers that they're asking you for. To help them do what you ask them to do, which is to understand. Which includes understanding your difference which means answering sometimes some awkward questions. So stop scolding your parents for asking inappropriate questions. Praise your parents for seeking information. You can, if you wish, throw some books at your parents. Is it a choice? Answers to 300 of the most frequently asked questions about gay and lesbian people by Eric Marcus. Always My Child, A Parent's Guide to Understanding Your Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgender, or Questioning Son or Daughter by Kevin Jennings, Out of the Closet and Into Our Hearts by Laura Siegel and Nancy Lampkin Olson. Beyond Acceptance, Parents of Lesbians and Gays, Talk About Their Experiences. These books are out there and they are a Google search away. That's how I was able to rattle off these titles. Not so hard to find. But I think the correct tack to take with your parents is to give them a few of these books and then welcome their questions when they have questions. Because they may read that no one's the guy or girl in the relationship, that they are two individual human beings in the relationship and not fully understand it until that is reinforced after they ask the question. They may read that passage. They may read the answer to that question and it may not stick until they hear it come out of your mouth or they hear it come out of your 
brother's mouth. So give them the books, answer their questions. So long as they're not being malicious, as long as this isn't hate and aggression masquerading as ignorance, is it's genuine ignorance, the cure is a compassionate, thoughtful answer. We have to, when we come out to our parents, treat them the way we're asking them to treat us with compassion and patience and understanding. We're going to take a quick break from the call so we can have a guest on the show to talk about, well, a piece that he wrote for The Advocate responding to a piece that somebody else wrote in Out Magazine. Late last month, Rose Damu wrote a short piece for Out, a piece that launched a thousand posts on gay blogs. Dear Gay Men, the piece was headlined, Stop Telling Women They Can't Be in Gay Bars. I know this might surprise you, Domu wrote, but in 2017, women can go anywhere they want to. And furthermore, we don't need your approval to do it. If you can't dance to some shitty house song or go down on a stranger just because a woman is in the room, you need to examine what that says about you. Gay men who don't want women in their bars, even gay men who are uncomfortable having sex in front of women, are straight up misogynists, Domu argued. Domu's short and, to be frank, not very well-argued piece prompted a long, impassioned, and I thought very well-written response from Alexander Chavez, a contributing editor to The Advocate magazine, and he joins us now by phone. Hey, Alex, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Good. I, I guess I'll be c- accused of misogyny myself for having you on and not the author of the out piece, but it was your piece that I really responded to. Uh, tell us about your reaction to Domu's piece initially and what prompted you to write your piece at The Advocate, which which uh, should be noted as titled Straight Folks, There Are Some Spaces You Do Not Belong In. Well, it actually started as an angry Facebook rant um, that I wrote before Domu's piece and my editor in LA saw it because it was about the story that I mentioned in, in in the opening of my of my article, um, you know, my home base gay bar here in Atlanta has a back room, and a straight woman went in there recently and felt very uncomfortable, threatened to call the cops, and it got destroyed. It was the last one here in the city. That, okay, for you know, and we we always have to remember there are lots of straight folks who listen to my show who may not know what we mean by back room. So, what is a back room? It, I mean, you walk through a curtain right in the back, and it, I mean, it's 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 a place you have to obviously try and get to. It's by the bathrooms. There's a curtain. And it's completely dark and you go in there and you have sex. I mean, or obviously you don't have to, but it's, it's implicitly a sex space. Um, and the bar is a, you know, seedy kinky leather bar. And, and I mean, the whole bar is, is low lit. And I mean, on a good night, all the activities of the bathroom spill out onto the dance floor. So, <laughs> but, but a yeah, woman, I mean, a woman I mean, came to the seedy gay pickup joint where people have anonymous sex in the back and wandered into that back room where she was groped, which... Well, you know, I, I truly don't know the full story, and I and I mean, I, I mean, it's a bar. I'm sure, I'm sure she was drunker, and 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 furthermore, I'm sure it was an uncomfortable experience. I don't, I don't discredit that. I'm sure it probably was very strange and uncomfortable, and I'm sure it honestly probably happened by accident. She got touched, and she threatened to call the cops, and so they turned on the lights and did away with that space because it's Atlanta, and there's and there's not a whole lot of gay bars left, and 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 it's the only one where you can really kind of go crazy like that and mm-hmm. they they felt threatened um it's in a part of town that's being gentrified and cleaned up and so so it was just a huge blow and uh, i mean everybody who loves who loves the heretic the ball is called the heretic for god's sake and everybody who loves heretic loves that space and and uh and now it's and, gone and now it's gone and it's gone because somebody who 
either didn't understand what that space meant or what it meant to walk through that curtain, walked through that curtain. Somebody who didn't understand that aspect of gay sex subcultures. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually very apprehensive to write an op-ed about that because I can, even I can see how that can very be indelicately written. Mm-hmm. But but your position isn't that women don't belong in gay bars. It's not. It's that you have to respect space that isn't catered to you because you can go anywhere. We mm-hmm. can't. That was my biggest criticism to Dummy's pieces. She does say that in 2017, straight women can go anywhere. My biggest criticism is that, I'm sorry, gay men can't. Mm-hmm. We, we can't go anywhere. I, I, mean, I mean, anywhere you go, everything is catered to a, to a heterosexual subculture, uh, to a heterosexual culture. Dominant culture. We, a, a, a dominant culture. We can't go everywhere. And that's kind of exactly the point, mm-hmm. is that these spaces exist for people who can't go everywhere. And by a city that you can go everywhere, that's quite literally privilege stated front and center. And Domu is arguing in her piece that women should be able to go absolutely anywhere. And when she rattles off, you know, if you can't give a blowjob to a stranger uh, in front of a woman, there's something wrong with you. She's implying that she has a right to wander into the very kind of backroom that you describe uh, the heretic losing after a woman wandered into it without understanding where she was going or what would go on in that room. Um, and what your piece argues is that there are different kinds of gay spaces and maybe you're welcome and you would be completely comfortable in the kind of everybody gay bar, cha-cha palace, dance floor, party bar, but the dark seedy gay bar with a back room. Yeah. Maybe not for you. Maybe not everything is for you. Well, I mean, there, there are different classifications of gay bar. And I mean, and, and I actually mentioned other kinds of bars, you know, I, I compare it to going to a Latin bar and complaining that you can't be served in English. There are spaces that are exclusionary, that, that do cater to a specific clientele, and you can't then make the argument that, you know, that a Latin bar is, I don't know, racist because you can't, because, because they, don't, they, don't, they don't serve in English. It's, a, I'm, it's just a Latin bar. Mm-hmm. There are spaces that are exclusive or primarily catered to a particular clientele, and that's, that's, that's not problematic. I don't think I don't think anybody can argue that's problematic. If you get catered to almost everywhere you go, landing in a place where you aren't catered to can feel like you're being discriminated against, and you're not necessarily sure being discriminated against. You're in a space that is for people and created by people who are discriminated against everywhere else they go. Yeah, but yeah. Your, your point in your piece is not that women don't belong in gay bars. Doma's point is that women should be able to go anywhere in any gay space they want to, including a gay sex space. And your argument is. What? My argument is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that and say that 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 women can't go into a gay sex space because, I, quite frankly, I've been in gay sex spaces where women have been present and it's been fine. It becomes a problem when you try to threaten or change it, or honestly, when you just disapprove of it. I mean, I, and, and a lot of gay men I know have a story like this, where. You know, you either retreat and you're on a boat and you're with a group of, 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 of gay friends and, and you, have, you have a woman who's a friend with you. And it's fun until a certain point. You know, I have a friend who, who went on a camping trip with a, with a whole bunch of his gay friends and a, gay, and, and a woman. And it was great until he started drinking piss. And then she freaked out. And then he was like, well, you don't really have that authority to freak out because, you know, I mean, they literally had, they literally had to retreat to a, to a gay campground to be able to just play freely and frolic. And that's not the dominant culture that's not the dominant world so it it really only becomes a problem case in point when you try to threaten or change it Mm -hmm. and that's really the issue when you want that space revamped for your comfort 
which is what happened to the heretic in Atlanta. Yeah. And, and I guess, that's, I guess that was kind of my whole argument. I mean, cause I don't think anybody can really say that, 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 that women aren't welcome. And I, and I don't really want that. To, and I, I wrote the piece very carefully to try and not say, you know, women go away. We don't want you. But I do say that if that primarily if you're straight, uh, you know, I mean, cause, cause queer women and trans women have way more, you know, like they belong. They have a, they have a much heavier right to these spaces mm-hmm. than a straight woman. And they've, I mean, always, and they've you, always been a part of these spaces. I've been out for 30, 40 years and I've always encountered queer and gender nonconforming women and men in gay spaces. What Domu is writing about is this phenomena that people have noted and some people have complained about and some people have defended, which is straight women pouring into gay bars and kind of o- overwhelming them. Well, I'm not a sideshow attraction. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's often what it feels like. They may not intend to make us feel like we're I don't know, a spectacle. Mm-hmm. But when but when you do flood the gay bar, uh and you're in fact not gay. I mean it, it does create that idea that you're a piece of entertainment. And and that makes me feel inauthentic. And that and that and that inauthenticates my sex life, my my community. My people. You know, I've been in gay bars with my husband uh, when he's been in a state of uh, undress-ishness, and he's been groped <laughs> by women. And it does feel a bit like some women in gay bars don't comport themselves well and act like they are in a petting zoo. On the flip side, some gay men don't behave well in gay bars when women are around. There are women who complain about being groped by gay men in gay bars who then act like it doesn't mean anything because they're not sexually aroused and it's just playful groping. Uh, and, and that's not okay either. People shouldn't grope people who do not wish to be groped. But uh, you made a point in your piece that I thought was really smart about going into a back room. You are waving your consent in a way. You have cons- pre-consented to being groped. That's what happens in back rooms. And that's what the person who wandered into that space who had no idea what that space was about didn't understand and then because she didn't understand that, she shut that space down for everyone who did understand that and wanted that and was seeking that there. And now that space is gone. Gone. Yeah. And that's not an unusual story. I mean, that's that's kind of happening at, 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 at backrooms and gay bars across the country. I mean, I I use that one example in Atlanta, but I mean, I, I used to live in San Francisco. It happened to a bar in San Francisco. Like it. This is a phenomenon that that is is aggressively occurring at many of our spaces, thanks to the bachelorette phenomenon, thanks to people going in, into spaces that operate by rules that have been handed down for some time that they don't understand and that do make them uncomfortable. And I'm sure that, and I'm sure it does make them uncomfortable. But there are rules of spaces. There, and I want to write an article. There are, there are, there are you know, policies and, 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 and courtesies in a back room. There's a way you do behave. Mm-hmm. And, and that, there's a social that, code. Uh, there's a social code. Yeah. And it wasn't communicated or it just simply wasn't known. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm honestly not sure how to fix that problem. You know, there wasn't a sign poster. There's no, you know, plaque on the wall saying, this is how this works. You know, and you know, the, yeah, I- the irony yeah. here though, is the person who groped the woman who wandered into the back room at the heretic probably thought they were groping a man and may have been oh, I'm sure they did. uncomfortable themselves to realize or discover if they ever did discover that they had groped a woman because those spaces, those back rooms are not spaces where anyone expects to encounter a woman. 
They're, no, they're not. And so I'm sure it happened by accident. And, and, you know, again, I don't, I honestly don't know the full story. And I don't think anybody ever really knows the full story when, when stories like this happen. I mean, or, you know, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know who she was. I don't know if she was there with a friend and, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of moot. Like I don't, I don't really want to like know the particulars, but mm-hmm. I know that someone from the outside hurt, hurt the minority. Right. And I mean, I mean, and, and that's kind of always what happens. Right? Or, or shut down a minority space in a sense, kind of small scale gentrified that space because now the backroom at Heretic is some well-lit room with a TV in it where people watch sports, which was not the point of it before. But let's issue a ruling really quickly before we go. You're a gay man. I'm a gay man. Women in gay bars. Yes or no. Or is it not that simple? I'm going to say it's not that simple because I think that's a really tricky and slippery uh, statement to make. To neither say, of us, and I completely agree with you. Neither of us endorse like banning women from gay bars or telling women they're not welcome in gay bars or even telling straight guys they're not welcome in gay bars. But as the headline to your piece at The Advocate states, straight folks, there are some spaces you don't belong in. So that puts the onus on straight precisely. folks to realize which spaces – we're talking about where you are not welcome. Yeah. I mean, I mean, cause, cause, and, and I did try to steer my piece a little bit slightly away from women, which was the focus of Damu's piece. I'm not, I'm not just going after women. I'm going after straight people who don't know the hallmarks of queer culture. There is gay male culture. There is queer culture. There are policies and practices and rituals and traditions. And, and especially, back, I mean, backrooms are kind of relics. Mm-hmm. of an antiquated time that we don't even really live in anymore. I mean, it's, it's hard, honestly, to find a back room anymore because you can, and, and, and I'm not going to chalk that change up to, you know, entirely up to straight people. I can chalk that up to, up to changing social mores and grinder and, you know, uh, just an evolving climate. And the HIV and, AIDS but, epidemic, which and, and, and the AIDS epidemic. So, you know, and, and, and people, uh, not needing back rooms as spaces where they can get sex because now you can do it in your living room. Right. I mean, it's important to know why, why these space bathhouses and back rooms uh, and, you know, certain parks and bushes in those certain parks. Uh, we had public anonymous sex because having sex in our own homes and even knowing your sex partner was risky in a culture where you could be arrested, imprisoned or blackmailed. So anonymous sex was the only sex that was safe for gay people once upon a time. And it exists yeah. still as you know, a lemons from lemonade aspect of, uh, of queer culture, um, a, a, a relic of uh, oppression that became something that was valued by many people in gay spaces and in gay culture. Uh, and, you know, and, straight, it's, and it's still valued by some of us. Right. And straight people aren't, yeah. you know, if straight people pour into that space, the same way they're pouring into gay neighborhoods or gay cha-cha palaces, it's going to destroy that space. So I, 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 to destroy that. So I think you're, you and I yeah. are in agreement here. Straight people, straight women. I have a lot of straight women who listen to my show. You are welcome in gay bars. You're not welcome in every single corner of every single gay bar in the world. And you should be, if you like gay people and that's why you're in a gay bar, be thoughtful about that and respectful of the aspects of gay culture that you as a woman uh, may or may not understand fully. Is that so hard for us to wrap our minds around? Is that too much for us to ask? You would say no. I would say no. I would say no. Alexander Chavez, contributing editor, Advocate Magazine, where he writes the Sexy Beast column, also the social media director for Fort Trough, an online gay fetish retailer. Thank you for jumping on the phone with me today, Alex. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. It was great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a early 20s male coming uh, 
I'm in college here in the Southwest. And I had a curious question. Uh, recently, I started seeing a girl who's in an open relationship, and she explained to me the rules of their relationship, and that was cool. And I understand that they'll have their own rules. But my question is, is there, like, an unwritten code or maybe something I'm not seeing that I have to abide by? Everything's fine in our interaction so far. I just want to be sure, like, you know, that I'm not missing anything or maybe there's something that I need to think of with them. And I mean, I abide by their rules, of course, but it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't want to step on any toes. So maybe there's something out there that any listener who's been in my situation has seen or any words of advice for the situation. Uh, that'd be awesome. Thanks, guys. If they have secret rules that they aren't telling you about and you violate those rules, that's on them. They have to communicate to you about their rules. There is no one set of rules that people in open relationships adhere to. People in open relationships get to write their own rules. And people in open relationships who have ongoing relationships with secondary or tertiary partners have to communicate that those rules to their partners so that they don't end up creating a lot of conflict in the primary relationship. You may encounter out there in open relationship land, some people who enjoy conflict, some people who do keep rules secret because arguing and screaming and yelling and smashing crockery and long dark nights of the soul to them is what relationships are about. That if there's all this conflict and drama, then there must be passion there. You don't want to fuck around with people like that. You don't want to be in relationships, open or otherwise, secondary, tertiary, or primary with people like that. If they prove themselves to be drama generators, get the fuck away from them. If they do keep rules secret and then blow up at you or each other because you broke this rule that you weren't informed of, that that's a pattern that emerges over time. If they brain farted a rule and didn't communicate it clearly or one person was charged with communicating the rules to you and left out a rule because they felt awkward about it and they wanted to address it later. If it's a one-off, okay, maybe you can stick around. But if it becomes a pattern where there's always some secret rule or trap door you didn't know about or landmine that you stepped on when you were walking away from the other landmine that you stepped on or that they stepped get the fuck away from them. Those are people who think drama is passion and you don't want to be in a relationship with people who think drama is passion, people who generate conflict. All relationships bring conflict. Life is a conflictathon. You don't need to work at generating. So all you have to do is ask them about their rules and expect that they will communicate them to you clearly and unambiguously and then honor those rules. It's simple. And again, if there are secret rules over and over and over again that you didn't know about, landmines that you had no idea where they were planted, run the fuck away. Their game playing conflict is passion, dumb fucks, and you don't want anything to do with them if that emerges as a pattern. If not, enjoy. Hi, Dan Savage. I'm asking a question for a friend, um, specifically for what I jokingly call my stepmother. My my father has fallen drastically in love with a, a much younger woman who has fallen drastically in love with him. And because we are kind of close in age, <laughs> we've kind of become best friends. They have some certain problems and particularly tonight I was I was speaking with her about a bit of her loneliness regarding sex. Like they, they completely love each other. They're completely intellectual partners. They will talk and talk all night. 
they'll both call me from across the country. She's my best friend. She's not, she's not, not my, she's my stepmother. I've come to call her that jokingly. Um, however, my dad had prostate cancer and they don't really have sex. And she's kind of in the prime of her sex life, but she's not interested in being with anybody else. I don't think that my father would be completely opposed with her being with somebody else, but she's not very interested in it. What should she do? I told her to get a puppy. I don't know what to advise her. Somebody tell me how to give my stepmother good advice. A puppy? Do they make vibrating puppies? Because that might be a better suggestion. Not a vibrating puppy, not a puppy with a vibrator stuffed inside of it, but a vibrator instead of a puppy might be something that you would like to advise your stepmother. It sounds, though, that you're uncomfortable having this conversation with your stepmother, which really revolves, in a way, around your dad's dick. And who wants to talk about their dad's dicks? Nobody. Nobody. That's who wants to talk about their dad's dick. You could advise your stepmother that this is a conversation she might want to have with someone else, some other friend, particularly if the accommodation that she needs involves seeking sex outside the relationship with or without your father's knowledge. That's an awkward conversation to have with your step-parent because it involves you in an infidelity. It involves you in infidelity where your parent, your biological parent, is the victim But if they're at an impasse where he can't or won't be intimate with her because his dick isn't in the game and refuses to allow her to have sex with anyone else and may even, because some people are really this desperately insecure, not be comfortable with her masturbating or pleasuring herself and not willing to assist her when she masturbates or pleasures herself, then she may need to seek outside release. Because that is not something you want to be implicated in if it ever comes out, that you knew that she was doing this or she talked to you about it or you told her to and then your dad finds it out and it totally screws up your relationship with your father. So you can tell your stepmother as close friends as you might be, as close in age as you might be, that you're not comfortable having this conversation with her. You can also tell her to go get a fucking vibrator instead of a goddamn puppy. You can also encourage her to – if you want to continue to have this conversation with her, to have discussions with your dad about all the ways in which they can be intimate and enjoy each other and be sexual with each other that don't hinge on him obtaining or sustaining an erection, that they can use toys and dildos, even strap-on dildos, be like the lesbians, that they can use vibrators together. There are people out there who, despite not being able to achieve an erection, can still achieve orgasm. They just can't get hard, but they still have the nerve endings and they are still functional. Maybe your dad is one of those people. Maybe your dad needs a good sex therapist, your dad and your stepmom. You can lay that all on her and then you can back the fuck away because on some level I detect discomfort in the question, particularly if you're having a conversation with somebody about their sex life and their sexual frustration and the best you can do is a dog. You're clearly not comfortable having a conversation with that person about sex. If puppy is your answer to I'm not getting off, maybe a puppy. No, not a puppy. Never a puppy. A puppy is never the answer to I am not getting off these days. Have a dog. Have a snow cone. Here's a canoe. None of those things are going to help. What will help? A vibrator. An accommodation in the relationship. Ethical non-monogamy. Sometimes even unethical non-monogamy can save a marriage, save a relationship. We talk about cheating when it destroys relationships. There are times when cheating saves relationships. We never talk about that because we never usually find out about that when it saves a relationship. 
invariably, if it's found out, then the relationship isn't saved and it becomes the cheating that destroyed a relationship. There are a lot of people out there in long-term, long, long, long-term relationships where the sex has died or isn't possible anymore and they're doing what they need to do to stay married and stay sane, as I like to say. Maybe your stepmom's going to be one of those people. But it's a conversation she needs to have with your dad. You can play her this response if you like and step the fuck out of this conversation, which I think is really what you want to do. Hey, Dan, I'm calling about the uh, episode last week with the woman who she gets really cold and she likes her socks on and her partner's out. My wife gets really cold basically all the time she's breathing. And, you know, I, I totally appreciate what her, her partners are saying because the socks that you wear every day sometimes don't feel so nice on you if you, like, wrap your legs around someone. But just wear long socks. Like, over-the-knee socks, it's a huge fetish for lots of guys. It's very attractive. Get some nice, sexy socks. Put those on. Even for people like me, I'm not a foot guy. I'm not really, like, a sock fetish guy. It just looks great. Uh, it keeps you warmer, and it might solve both problems. Hey, Dan, to the lady that likes her socks on during sex, that's a straight male. I myself like to wear socks during sex. Not because I get cold, but because I don't like my feet touching other things. I'd say... Rock on with your socks on. Hi, Dan, and the tech savvy at risk user. I'm calling to get some advice to the woman in episode 564 whose boyfriend's dick is too big for her mouth. And I'm dating a guy right now who also is well endowed. And the other night, my jaw was getting really, really sore, and I had to take my his dick out of my mouth, and he was like baby, you know, put it back in your mouth. And I was like, I can't, babe. It's so fucking big. And he flipped me over and started eating me out. He was really turned on. So, yeah, just like dirty talk the fuck out of it. You know, let him know how massive it, it is and how you can't fit it in your mouth. Uh, good luck to you, hon. All right. Before we leave it there, a quick message to Dylan from Boston. I received a note from your service member in Egypt. He says he's sorry he can't be with you for your birthday and asked me to wish you a very happy birthday this Saturday, August 26th. He loves you and misses you and your support, encouragement, and positivity, especially right now, mean everything to him. Thank you for what you're doing, Dylan, and have a happy birthday. Best wishes from me, the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, and Nancy. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz at 206-302-2064. The deadline to submit films to Hump, my dirty little film festival, is approaching quickly. It's in September. Go to humpfilmfest.com for information about submitting a film to Hump. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Alexander Chavez on Twitter at Bad. Alexander Chavez. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.